morning, everyone. If uh, I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I'm Ben. I'm the community pastor here. And a really special welcome to you as well if you're online. Hope you're well. We're in the middle of a series at the moment called Grace Changes Everything. Grace Changes Everything. Last week, Adam spoke about it. He defined it for us. If we use it as an acronym, it would be God's reward at Christ's expense. It means not merit, but mercy. Grace. The grace of God changes everything in our lives. And today, we want to focus in on how it changes our mission. How it changes our purpose. How it changes our direction in life. You know, I wonder if you know what that is for you. What is your mission in life? What's your purpose? You know, I think on the surface, we can probably come up with some goals. Maybe we want to get to a particular career or a particular retirement lifestyle. Maybe we want to do something good overseas or some charity work, whatever it might be. But deep down, there's something that's driving us. There's a deep mission that we have in life. When I think about myself, when I was growing up, I can see that my mission, my deep longing was for peace. I wanted peace. I wanted no more conflict, just peace, just rest. And I can see that in the way that I dealt with different situations. I can see that in my conflict style. I was accommodating rather than running in like a rhino. I was the turtle or whatever you call it. I can see that in year seven. Year seven was a difficult year for me at school. I was bullied. And I saw peace in religion. I didn't really understand what the gospel, what Jesus really taught yet. And so I just had this understanding of God that was what I would call religious. I just believed that he wanted me to be good. And then if I was good enough, he'd love me, he'd be, he'd be favorable towards me. And so when I encountered bullying, I just thought, I've got to keep being good and God will rescue me from the bullying. But he didn't. And so at the end of the year, I changed that. I walked away from what I thought was God, but it was really just religion. And I chose to try and find peace in friends. So I tried to be cool, tried to be funny, didn't care about doing the right thing anymore. And I found friends, but I still didn't find that peace I was looking for. I felt guilty and ashamed by some of the things I did. And my friend's voice wasn't a powerful enough voice to really say, peace my heart. It wasn't until later on in school, towards the end of school, a friend of mine invited me to a conference, and I heard the message of Jesus again, and it was like the Holy Spirit just came and opened my heart to it. And I realized that Jesus was good for me, that Jesus lived the perfect life that I could never live, that he died in my place, he took my place on the cross, he took my shame, he took my guilt. And so that my peace with who matters most, with God, was secure forever in Jesus. Perfect peace. And when I realized that, it was just liberating. Totally transformed my mission in life. I didn't have a need to go on this personal quest any longer. It actually just made me want to know God, glorify God. I just started coming to this church. I was going to this school, so I just came here naturally. Started reading my Bible, wanting to know Jesus more, wanting to share Jesus with others. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
how the grace of God gives us a new mission to share Jesus with others. The grace of God totally transforms our lives so that we get a new mission. Jesus gave us the great commission, is what it's called in Matthew 28. He commissioned us. He said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and create more followers. When he received all authority in heaven and on earth, the first thing he did was to command us to embrace this mission to go and help more people to follow and find life in Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing. It's not simply a command, but it's a delight. That is when grace has its work in you, when grace does a work in you, it's not just a command to obey, it's a delight to do. And I want to tell you a bit more about how grace does that in our hearts in a moment. But before that, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I just want to let you know that the reason that perhaps people have reached out to you about Jesus is because the deep love that God has for sinners and rebels and sufferers and broken people. You know, I'm, I'd like to say sorry if you've ever experienced from a Christian pushiness or crossing boundaries that you put in place. That's, that's on me. That's on us sometimes. But the reason that people want to reach you with the gospel, that people want to share Jesus with you, is because of what we believe, what we've known. We've discovered that Jesus is the fountain of living waters. That he satisfies the delight, the needs of our heart. And he tells us that there is a judgment coming for those who do not acknowledge him. And so, the only loving thing that we can do is to share Jesus with you. And I hope that you see this morning that the grace that drove Jesus to the cross to die in the place of sinners is available to you today, freely. I hope you see that. So we're going to jump in and take a look at how God's grace changes mission. We're going to do it by looking at two questions. The first question is this. How does grace change our mission, our mission personally? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 to 10 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There are three things that this passage tells us about grace, and the first is this, grace gives us a new identity. Grace gives us a new identity, and this is where we start, because when we see that we've been given a new identity, it shows us that we've been given a new mission along with that identity. But let's start with this identity first. So Peter wrote this letter to Christians living in a hostile culture. They weren't the cool kids. People in, in their town thought the Christians were weird, even wicked, for believing the things they did. And that's similar to us, isn't it? We live in a post-Christian culture, and Christians are seen as weird, and sometimes even wicked, for the things we believe. 
But in verse 9, Peter reminds us of who we really are. God doesn't say we're weird or wicked. He says we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Grace gives us a new identity, and it's absolutely amazing. He basically tells us in language that was similar to what God spoke over Israel in the Old Testament, he basically tells us that we're his chosen people. You've been chosen by God. That we're a holy nation, that is, we're set apart for God, called to be a contrast to the culture. That you are his treasured possession, that you're valuable to him, you're special to him, you're precious to him. That the God of the universe thinks of his people. And Peter says that we're also a royal priesthood. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, they used to have a temple which was like the hotspot of God's presence. And the priest was a mediator between God and people. So people would come and bring their sacrifices and the priest would offer them to God on their behalf. And the priest was allowed to go further into the presence of God in the temple. And so Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You're called to be mediators of God's presence, to invite people in, to God's presence, to worship Him. One commentator on these verses, Juan Sanchez, he says this, Just as God called Israel as a royal priesthood to be the mediator of God's blessings to the surrounding nations, so too the church is called to mediate God's blessings to the world. As God's priests, we announce the good news, the gospel of the salvation He offers in Jesus Christ so that all who repent and believe may come to Jesus. So our very identity, that grace has given us this new identity as royal priests, leads us into the fact that we have a new purpose and mission in life. And that's what we're going to look at next. Grace gives us a new mission. The second half of verse 9, it says this. After it says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, it tells us why. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So our new identity leads us into a new mission. As God's royal priests, we're to praise God by telling others what he has done for us in Christ. In other words, God calls us to tell others how God has saved us, how God has been good to us, how the gospel has transformed our lives. This is part of our mission and purpose as God's people. I was searching for peace everywhere and couldn't find it until I heard that Jesus died in my place on the cross. That I didn't have to be good to be at peace with God because Jesus is my goodness. God's smile over me is secure. My peace with God is certain. That totally transformed my reason for living, my purpose as a human being. When you taste the grace of God, it's natural to share what He has done for you. We don't need to grit our teeth and make ourselves share Jesus with others. It's a delight because, and here's the third thing we learn, grace gives us a new reason. Grace gives us a new reason to do evangelism or whatever you want to call it. Peter says in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've received grace. 
kind of like Peter says in verses 9 to 10, you've been given an amazing identity and a new mission that flows out of it. How could it be otherwise? You have now received mercy. You have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in Jesus. How could you not want to share this with others? But I guess the thing is, sometimes we don't. Or sometimes we don't feel that passionate about doing this. I know I don't sometimes. You know, why is it more that we're more vocal about our vaccination status than our love for Jesus? Why is our social media filled with our opinions on everything else going on in the world but holds hardly any evidence about our faith? In Jesus. The thing is, even though God's grace should make us passionate about sharing Jesus, the reality is that far too often we're embarrassed, we're lethargic, and we're fearful. You know, I'm just thinking of myself here. Far too often, because of the sin that still remains in my heart, I forget how good the gospel is. Far too often I live a whole day without being grateful for what Jesus has done. Far too often I get busy ticking off tasks on my to-do list, going to the petrol station, going to Woolies, and I hardly even notice the people around me. Far too often around hundreds and hundreds of lost people and I don't even think to pray for them. Sin messes with us. But you know... The beautiful thing is that the reason I have received grace and the reason you have received grace is because Jesus isn't like me, isn't like us. You know, he didn't lack the motivation for God's mission to save sinners. Jesus wasn't consumed with his own selfish desires. Throughout his ministry, people were flocking to him. Imagine all that need. And lately I've been noticing a lot how there'd be times he just wanted to get away and be by himself and pray. And there were so many times when crowds heard about it and found him. And his heart was so full of God's grace that he just loved them. He didn't get angry. He didn't tell them to buzz off. He spent time with them. He loved them. He taught them about God. He fed them. He healed them. And then he'd look after his needs later. He'd go and get some rest. He'd spend some time in prayer with his father. Jesus was so committed, he gave himself so fully to God's mission that he saved us. He exchanged his position of extreme privilege in the presence of God and exchanged it for our wretched, sin-wrecked position as sinners sentenced to death in hell. He exchanged what he had to go through a type of hell at the cross. The total abandonment of the Father out of love for you. Jesus went through that on the cross that sinners and sufferers can put their trust in him and have all of their guilt and shame dealt with. He makes us priests in the presence of God. He gives us that kind of access and he gives us a new person of calling people to enjoy his presence too in Jesus. The greatest gift of God's grace is his son, Jesus. And it's so radical. 
that it totally transformed our mission in life. This is why the reason and the motivation for the Great Commission is so different to other missions in life. You know, for example, if your mission is to to get rich or to become a millionaire or something like that, there's something driving you, there's a motivation, there's a reason. Maybe there's an inadequacy you feel or there's an emptiness you feel and you're trying to fill it with money. You think that's the answer. But if, as that person, you experience the grace and the mercy of God, you discover that you've been given a new identity. You're part of God's chosen people. You have nothing left to prove. You've been made God's special possession. The emptiness has been filled with God's love and affection. Your mission changes. Grace has given us a new and powerful reason to get involved in God's mission. And it's not fear and it's not guilt, but it's gratitude for all that God has done. It's grace. Grace gives us a new identity. Grace gives us a new purpose. And grace gives us a new reason. That's how grace has changed our mission. And the second question we want to ask is how does grace change our method? How does it change the way that we go about reaching out to others? You know, the world, when you think about the way our culture or our world does things, there's many methods for winning people over to things. Even if you just take marketing, for example. Marketing products, they use things like envy or greed or fear to create a need and to get you to buy something. You know, maybe they put clothes on a really attractive person and and the message, the implicit message is, you'll look this good if you buy this. Or they have slogans like, because you're worth it. You know, they play into our self-centeredness and our pride to get us to buy their products. But how does grace change our method? How does grace change the way that we bring people to Jesus? Well, let's keep studying the first letter of Peter and look at three things that grace demands that it produces when it comes to our method for reaching others. And the first is this, grace demands integrity. Not perfection, I'm not going to reach that in this life, but it demands integrity. Verses 11 to 12, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, it's people who don't believe, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So like I said before, Peter was preaching to a hostile culture. This is a pre-Christian culture, all right? Christians were seen as weird, sometimes wicked. There were things going on in their culture, like for example, in towns, they would have religious festivals, and it was just expected that you'd take part in that. And some of those festivals, they were designed to gain favor with the gods or gain protection from the gods. And so you can imagine that as Christians, if they said, oh, we we can't participate in this worship, there's one Lord, Jesus, they'd be seen as wicked. They'd be seen as jeopardizing the city's favor with these gods, the city's protection from these gods. And so Peter comes into this, and because he's been given a new mission, because it's all about advancing the gospel and helping more people find life in Jesus, He tells them to do something. And it's kind of surprising. He doesn't say that the war is out there with the culture. He says the real war is not a culture war. It's a war inside of you with sin. That's what he says in verse 11. Resist the pressure of the culture, but don't war against the culture. 
wage war against sin inside of you. Kill sin. Grace demands integrity in our lives. So let me just ask you, where are you at when it comes to your own temptations, your own tendencies towards sin? Are you waging war with them? Are you not okay with them? Are you fighting by the grace, with the grace that God provides? If we're stumbling, that's just part of the Christian life at times. But if we've given up, that's something to be concerned about. Are you waging war against sin? And here's a question that might help you think through whether you're living with integrity. If you started talking about Jesus with your friends, maybe your workmates or your uni peers, your friends, what would be their reaction to you? Would their reaction be, really, you're a Christian? I had no idea. Or would it be, okay, yes, that makes sense. I thought something was different about you. How are you living in those spheres? Are you abstaining from getting drunk? Are you working hard in your workplace with gratitude, with joy for having a job, being one of the best workers there because God, God's grace demands that you use your gifts well, that you steward your resources well. How are you living in those spheres of your life? God's grace demands it creates integrity. J.C. Ryle, a pastor in the 1800s, once said this, he said, the subject of personal godliness has fallen sadly into the background. The immense importance of adorning the gospel and making it lovely and beautiful by our daily habits and tempers has been far too much overlooked. Worldly people sometimes complain with reason that religious persons, so-called, are not so friendly and unselfish and good-natured as others who make no profession of religion. The gospel is useless if it is not accompanied by a holy life. It is worse than useless. It does positive harm. It is despised by men of the world as an unreal and hollow thing and brings religion into contempt. Grace demands integrity. So God calls us to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. The second thing 1 Peter teaches us about how grace changes our method for reaching others is this. Grace demands respect. Chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Sam Chan, he's a, an Australian evangelist. He tells a story about how some Jehovah's Witnesses came to his door to evangelize for him. And so he let them in. He said, yeah, of course, I'm happy to discuss with you. And he did this for six weeks. They'd knock on his door for six weeks in a row, and he let them in, and he discussed Christianity with them, the gospel with them. And every time he brought up a hole in something that they said, they would just turn to the back of their books and find the pre-recorded answer and read it to him, and then they'd keep talking. And eventually, he got sick of this, so he stopped listening to them. 
You see, he didn't feel valued as a human being. He didn't feel valued as a thinker. They weren't listening to what he was saying. All they wanted to do was just tell him what they had to say, but they weren't listening to what he had to say. And so when he didn't feel listened to, when he didn't feel respected as a human being, as a person, he eventually stopped listening to them. And I think that's a good illustration for us to consider. Sam Chan talks about it like this. He says, there's a golden rule for evangelism. You know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you? Well, he says, evangelize to others as you would have them evangelize to you. Witness to others as you would have them witness to you. You know, if someone from a different worldview or a different faith tried to witness to you about what they believe, how would you appreciate them doing that? You know, if they gave you a chance to speak to, they gave you a chance to, to say what you had to say. Sometimes it's just good listening that opens up doors to share the gospel. Grace demands respect. When we let grace change our methods for reaching people, it gets rid of dishonest, patronizing, pushy tactics. And it demands we respect people as image bearers of God. So if someone tells us they don't want to hear about Jesus, we can respect that. Now, that might create some tension for some of you that I said that. Maybe you're thinking, hang on, isn't there too much at stake? I, I can't just stop telling someone about Jesus. Too much is at stake. They need to hear. They need to turn. They need to repent. They need to be saved. And I respect that motivation, but I think sometimes the reason we get that wrong is because we misunderstand our role in evangelism. It's the same reason that sometimes we feel inadequate when it comes to reaching, talking to others about Jesus. And it's the same reason we sometimes feel guilty about talking to others about Jesus. Because we misunderstand our role. So I'd love to clarify what the Bible teaches about that this morning. Sam Chan, he clarifies it really well. He goes to the first letter of Thessalonians, and I can show you it later if you want, but this is what he says. Our role is to communicate the gospel both in words and actions. But our role is not God's. We are not sovereignly choosing who gets saved. Our role is not Jesus's. We are not saving people from their sins. Our role is not the Holy Spirit's. We cannot force people to believe. Instead, we must stay focused on our role as the evangelist and do it well. We do everything we can to cooperate with God, complement what he does, and not create obstacles to evangelism. So in other words, someone's salvation is God's work of grace from start to finish. God chooses them. Jesus dies for them. The Holy Spirit gives them ears to hear gives them a heart to respond. We don't choose. We aren't their savior. And no matter how hard we try, we can't change someone's heart. It's a work of God's grace. So we don't need to push and push and push or feel guilty if someone doesn't respond to the gospel. But what we are responsible to do is to present the gospel to those who will listen. We're called to be faithful. If they listen, tell them. If they won't, show them. Show them the gospel with your life. Keep praying for them. Ask God for opportunities. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to change their hearts. Keep living the gospel before them until another opportunity arises by God's grace.
And I think when we understand God's grace in all of this, it, it frees us up to evangelize people in honest love. Not out of guilt or fear, but just in love for them as a person. You know, I can pray for my loved ones to be saved. I can live in line with the gospel and hope that they will see how Jesus has changed my life. I can speak about Jesus with them, but I do not save them. I cannot change their minds, and I do not choose who responds. Now, some people think this truth will make us worse evangelists, that it takes the pressure off too much, but that it, that it's, that it takes the pressure off us and makes us lazy. But it's actually the opposite. Paul the Apostle was the greatest missionary I've ever heard of, but so zealous about reaching, for pe- reaching people. And he knew God's grace deeply. He said in one of his letters, he said, I, I, I do all things like I work zealously for the sake of the people God has chosen, for the sake of the elect. He believed that. And the truth about God's grace empowers us because we realize if we feel inadequate or if they seem distant, that doesn't really matter. We're just responsible to be faithful and present the gospel and God can save anyone. God's doing the work. And the grace of God doesn't make us lazy. It totally transforms our mission in life. That's what we've been talking about. It melts hearts. It moves feet. It makes us zealous. It makes us want to share Jesus with others. And this is why grace demands intentionality as well. Verse 15, Peter said, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So he tells us to be prepared. I wonder if someone asked you today why you follow Jesus, if you'd be ready to, to give them an answer. I wonder if the grace has made such the grace of God has made such an impact in your life that you're planning and praying and preparing to be God's instrument in someone else's life. One Peter has taught us that we can begin by killing the sin that destroys our integrity and by treating others with respect. I just want to give you a few more things that you can do as a next step, if you want to take a next step today to get involved in God's mission. Here's some things you can do. First is you can read Sam Chan's book, called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. It's really good. He's an Australian. He knows our context well. Really recommend it to you. The second is know your own story of grace. Know your own story of grace. I think that's one of the most natural ways that we can share Jesus with people. When they ask you, you know, why do you go to church? Why do you believe what you believe? Know your own story so that you can share it in a few moments quickly with them. Now, that's what I did with you guys at the beginning of our time together. I think I figured out a bit of like, what was my mission personally when I was growing up? It was to find peace. How did I find it in the wrong places? Religion, friends. How did Jesus resolve this for me? Those are the sort of questions we can ask. What's sort of driving us in life? What are we fearful of? What do we really want? What do we long for? What are the sins and temptations we struggle with and why? What does it tell us about what we're really looking for? How are we going to the wrong places for that? And how has Jesus resolved this issue? How has he helped us? Know your story. The third thing we can do is pray. 
in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus looked out on the crowds, it says that he saw them as like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, harvest that he'll send out more workers. And so we can pray, God, would you send out more people with your heart of compassion for others, that more people might find life in Jesus. We can pray for that. And as we pray, we begin to see that at least we can begin to fulfill that prayer. We can be a worker in this world. And fourth, the word one-to-one. We were going to do a training after the service today. Unfortunately, that cannot happen this time. But keep your eyes out for when we run the training for this. It's a simple tool. It's just got the Bible in there with some notes that explains it so that you don't have to be the teacher for someone. And it doesn't even really look like, it doesn't look like a Bible. So you can sit at a cafe with a workmate or something and just read it together. You don't have to be the teacher. You're both just learning. And they just get to meet Jesus in the scriptures. Super simple. You just need to be a page turner. One in five people who aren't Christians say yes to reading the Bible with someone. Look out for the training when that comes up. Because grace demands intentionality. Grace demands intentionality. And you know, it's so radical that it totally transforms our mission and purpose in life. You know, I think of one lady in our church who a couple of few years ago, she was looking for a community, a place to call home with for brothers and sisters to follow Jesus with. And she found that here. And she just experienced God's grace in such a special way. Made her joyful. Made her vocal about what Jesus had done for her. It was just natural for her to share with others. And she lives in a retirement village now. And I've seen her there before, and she's just making friends with people. She's not pushy. She's not forcing the conversation. She's just loving Jesus, living for Jesus there, building friendships, loving people. And connections are being made and people are beginning to listen and others are wanting to learn more about Jesus. The grace of God has propelled her into God's mission and it can propel us too. So let's pray and ask that God's grace would do its work in our life today. Let's pray. Father, we just bring ourselves to you totally this morning. You see us, you know how we feel about this topic of reaching out to others. You know the fears, you know the guilt, you know the hopelessness sometimes that we feel. Father, we just ask that you do a work in us as your people. Holy Spirit, do a work of grace in our hearts. Refresh us again with what Jesus did. Give us the heart of Jesus for others who when he looked out on the crowds, he had compassion. He loved them. He wanted to help them. And we pray that your grace would so fully do a work in our lives that we just forget about our own needs because we've been so fulfilled in you, Jesus. And that we might just focus on the needs around us. Focus on the people around us. Father, I pray today that people would leave here with some a next step you want them to take. We pray and ask that in our workplaces we would be witnesses to you. 
in our universities, in our friendships, in our families, Lord. That if they'll listen, we'll tell them. And that if they won't, we'll show them. Lord, help us. Help us to help more people find life in Jesus. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the honor. And we just ask for your help and your grace in this task. It's in his name we pray.